Christmas Eve, 2008, for the past couple of days, I've been like laying in bed, like willing myself to die. Like, please, God, I don't even believe in you. I, I like it's all your fault that this happened. It wasn't my fault. It was God's fault. God hates me. And I just I don't want to wake up like, please, please don't let me wake up. Like I'm begging him, please don't let me wake up. Hello and welcome to The Daily Helping with Dr. Richard Schuster. Food for the brain, knowledge from the experts, tools to win at life. I'm your host, Dr. Richard. Whoever you are, wherever you're from, and whatever you do, this is the show that is going to help you become the best version of yourself. Each episode, you will hear from some of the most amazing, talented, and successful people on the planet who followed their passions and strive to help others. Join our movement to get a million people each day to commit acts of kindness for others. Together, we're going to make the world a better place. Are you ready? Because it's time for your daily helping. Thanks for tuning in to the latest episode of the Daily Helping Podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Richard, and we have an awesome and inspirational guest today to share with each and every one of you. Sean Douglas is a U.S. Air Force veteran, master resilience implementer, TEDx speaker, international radio show host, performance enhancement expert, and author. He inspires and motivates you to live your brand so you can grow personally and professionally. Millennials to 50-year-old professionals hire Sean to teach them mental, physical, social, and emotional, as well as spiritual resilience skills that empowers them to withstand, recover, and grow through adversity, stress, and life's changing demands in a highly interactive and engaging environment while utilizing online coaching sessions and face-to-face workshops. Sean equips people with the tools necessary to live epic lives and leaves people better equipped to manage change effectively. His why is that he is a suicide survivor and shares his powerful testimony globally. While serving his country since 2001 as an active duty Air Force Airman, he started and operated three successful businesses. His book, Decisions, The Power to Overcome Self-Defeating Behaviors reflects his passion for inspiring others to succeed and grow through the worst seasons of their life. Sean is married to his beautiful wife, Candy, and they have four children. Sean, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for having me. I am super, super pumped and honored to be here. Well, there's so much we could talk about, and you've done so many amazing things, the TEDx speaking, your time in the Air Force, but I want to talk about what were some of your earlier influences? You know, you, you ran three businesses, you know, and you did that successfully, and you've written a book. Was this kind of who you were, or did things along the way inspire you to move in that entrepreneurial direction? Oh, yeah, no, I sucked, like, growing up and... <laughs> I mean, I don't know. Growing up, I kind of always had an entrepreneurial spirit. Like I was always out shoveling snow and raking leaves and helping out people around the neighborhood, you know, trying to make some extra money. Um, I always found ways to do I think it was a survival thing, though, because the way I grew up in Detroit, Michigan, it just wasn't uh, a great way to live a life. And so I think it was maybe born out of necessity or survival, but I kind of always had that mindset. Like I want to create something so amazing. and. Uh, it wasn't until later on in life, just recently, that that I had found in the past maybe like 10 years that I'd found, you know, fulfillment and success. 
So when we have these long journeys of, of trials and tribulations, then eventually we, we get the success in the end. It certainly feels so much sweeter. But I want to go back to your time in Detroit. You mentioned that as you know having to survive. And so talk to us about that. Yeah, from the time that I was born to the time that I was uh, 18, I lived in 11 different houses and I attended eight different schools. So it wasn't a wasn't a great um, you know place to live, you know. So uh, my mom and my dad split up when I was like first grade, and my mom got with somebody else, and they married. And he became my stepdad, and it was constant domestic violence, uh, alcohol abuse, uh, physical, emotional abuse. I mean, it was just rough. And and despite that, you said that growing up, you always felt like you wanted to create something. So how did you express that creativity and that desire when you were young? It was a couple of different things, you know, I mean, we always played with little model cars, you know, you put the model cars together and then you kind of like start going and designing it on your own. Like, like you, I don't know, I'm seventh grade, you know, I'm putting models, you know, together in airplanes and stuff, you know, I'm going out and shoveling snow, raking leaves. I'm, you know, just looking for anything, a creative outlet, you know, building Legos when I'm like in third or fourth grade, you know, I just, I always try to find a creative way to, to express myself, I guess. You know what I mean? I wasn't good at art. I was, I mean, I was a hockey player. So, I mean, I've been a hockey player forever. Uh, so there's that, but creatively, like, I don't know. I just never thought of myself a creative person, but I knew that I needed something. I've always felt a calling like, like I'm like, I wanted to be the guy who created the light bulb, the car, iPhone. You're like, I wanted to be those people that created something that revolutionized humanity. I still think I can. I just don't know what it is yet. And, and were there any big influencers in your life? You know, you mentioned that there was domestic violence and alcohol abuse, which you were exposed to. People who have that creative spark, that entrepreneurial spark to want to build things often have mentors in their lives or people that are supportive of them. Who, who filled that role for you when you were young and growing up? Oh, absolutely. Had to be uh, some of my family members, like my grandfather on my mom's side, and then like my uh, my uncle uh, on my dad's side, um, my uncle and my aunt. I mean, the most influential people in my life at that time was was my aunt and uncle on one side, and then my grandfather on the other. He basically saw what was going on. I mean, in third grade, we got evicted out of one house and we moved into his basement, which in Michigan, you have like these finished basements. They're really nice, you know? And, uh, and so we lived there for like six weeks, finished out third grade. And then I moved and finished, you know, fourth, fifth and sixth grade, you know, somewhere else. But he saw something like you have to go, you know, you have like creatively, you know, you have, an, you have to have an outlet, right? You have to have an outlet. And, uh, and he's part of a fraternal organization called the Knights of Columbus. It's a Christian, um, Catholic organization. And so at a young age, he started like getting me prepped for that. Like you need to go with this youth group and join the youth group and go to church and you need to, you know, and it was like, man, whatever church, you know, but that ended up being what really carried me through high school was, was that particular youth group, you know, cause anytime we had issues at home, like I could just call one of them and like, all right, we'll, we'll come get you. You know what I mean? So uh, youth group and stuff that definitely, definitely, uh, helped a lot. So, and it sounds like you had this amazing team, so to speak in the Knights of Columbus that you could rely on and your grandfather as well, you know, through high school, when did it start 
to go south. I know that a big part of your story is that you were suicidal at, at one point, a suicide survivor. When did it really start going south for you, Sean? When I discovered alcohol, I found out that alcohol suppresses feelings. And I liked suppressing feelings because of the pain. I didn't want to, I, I didn't want to deal with childhood trauma. I didn't want to deal with, oh, I have to get, I have to learn who my dad is, you know, every other weekend, two weeks out of the year. And we don't get the call during the week. We don't, I mean, I literally every other weekend, that's the only time I get to call him and talk to him or, you know, whatever. Like there wasn't a relationship. You know, I don't know if us kids were used as pawns inside of a divorce or I, mean, I know there was tons of fighting and bickering and everything. So, you know, we always felt like my, my two sisters and I always felt like we were caught in the middle. But when I discovered alcohol, it was all like, you know what? I don't care what the world has going on. And I would just crawl into a bottle and I would just drink myself to sleep and whatever. Uh, and that's even worse. <laughs> like it becomes worse. And then pretty soon you're addicted. So how old were you when that started? I first started drinking alcohol when I was 17 because my mom had the theory that, well, as long as you're drinking here and you're not going anywhere and you're not with friends, then I can definitely keep an eye on you. Well, then guess what? The drinking age is 18 in England. I joined the Air Force in 01 after 9-11. I went in 2002, like January or yeah, it was January. And then all the way through 2002, I was in England. And guess what the drinking age is there? 18. So everybody drinks. <laughs> you know what I mean? So... Uh, yeah. I mean, every weekend binge drinking, drunk, waking up wherever, you know, I mean, the first two years of my, of my military career in England was like college, you know, work hard, play hard, you know, meet people, uh, do stupid things with them, you know? So how old were you at that time? I was oh one. I was 17. So I turned 17 or 18 July. So 19. So you're officially in the Air Force and really abusing alcohol overseas. What was rock bottom? Oh, rock bottom didn't even come until like 2008. So, I mean, I had, I had spent two solid years developing the habit of, of drinking. You know, from 02 to 04, you're overseas. You know, I developed the habit. You know, I wouldn't even have food in my dorm room, but I have alcohol. I'd make sure I had beer. I'd make sure I had, you know, Jack Daniels or, you know, I'd, I'd eat ramen noodles and, and, and pizza rolls, but I have a ton of liquor. So I left uh, England in 2004, went stateside and been stateside ever since. But for the next four years, it was, you know, I couldn't pay rent. So I slept in my car and then I'd hook up with some girl and stay with her for, you know, a couple months or whatever. And then that got old and I stayed somewhere else. I mean, I was just developing these weird habits, you know? And uh, the military didn't even know until one day I showed up to work drunk. And they're like, what is this? And then all of it all came out like, oh, that makes so much sense. And then they started diving into my past. And then they started kind of looking at some things. And they're like, yeah, dude, you have a serious, serious problem. And I needed help. So my house burned down in 2007, St. Patrick's Day. I had a party. I had a guest book. I was so excited. Over 100 people showed up to my house. I didn't even know half of them. But I thought I was the coolest kid on the block. And, uh, and my house burned down. And that was a sobering moment for me. So essentially, you were a functional alcoholic in the military for, yeah, about, eight, for about eight years, seven or eight years. For about, I'd say for solid, probably three years. Okay. So I, I cl 
clearly I, uh, math is not my forte. <laughs> but, <laughs> but but nonetheless, you know, it, it things started unraveling. The house burns down. The party with all these people you don't know. Uh, you you sh- you show up to work intoxicated, and and then take us take us to the next next event. Uh, yeah. So my house burned down in 2007, uh, St. Patrick's Day, and uh, the day after. I'm sleeping in a hotel because, you know, the military and USAA and Red Cross comes. I'm sleeping in a hotel and that's going to last about three days. And then I have nowhere else to go after that. Like I literally had like maybe a couple hundred dollars, something like that. A couple hundred, you know, that I could use uh, in my savings account, you know, because I was like, I'm never going to touch my savings. That was my whole thing. Like I never touch my savings. But at this point, I'm like, I don't really care. You know, for the first, you know, three years of my military career, I was saving up. Yeah, I had like four or 5,000 in there. By 2007, I'm like, I have maybe like a grand, like if that. I have so much debt. It's, it's ridiculous. And so here I am sleeping in this hotel. I'm like, where, like, how did this happen? Like literally how did this happen? And uh, my wife now, um, who I'm married to at the time was just a friend, kind of a fling, kind of a, you know, whatever who denied me like so many times. She's like, well, just come stay with me. Like, just come live with me. You know, I'm like, Oh no, that's not happening. Like that's, I can't have it. I can't live there. Cause she's got kids and stuff. But anyway, I ended up living there. And then, uh, months later, you know, we're kind of getting together and, you know, starting to form a relationship. And then, you know, by the end of 2007, like we're married, like we, we ended up getting married. And I was like, cool. Like time to settle down time to, you know, I can do whatever I want now. Like I got a life, like pfft, I got no responsibility. You know what I mean? So here I am going back to my old ways. Like I'm not really partying, but like I'm going out to bars. I'm hanging out with my friends. I'm like, oh yeah, I can come home to my wife. Like she'll take care of me. She'll take care of the house. Like I don't even have to do it. She'll pay all my bills. Yeah, not so much. Inside of a year, my wife packed up and left, took the kids. And uh, by, you know, December, 2008, you know, we're, we're getting divorced. Like she's gone, like took the kids. I'm living, you know, by myself, you know, back where I was, you know, alone, drunk, Hey guys, Dr. Richard here. For the past seven years, I've been privileged to bring you incredible guests who are changing the world and can help you become the best version of yourself. I'm really excited to share with you a new quiz that I created based on my clinical training that will curate for you a custom list of my top episodes and actionable strategies to help you wherever you are on your journey. All you need to do is go to drrichardschuster.com to take it, and it's 100% free. You'll be taking the next step on the journey to unlocking the power of you. And I can't wait to see where you'll go. And then, and then from there is that what led to the, the bout of, yeah. So, so take us through that, you know? Yeah. Uh, yeah, that was pretty rough. Uh, you know, I had, I had friends that carried over, you know, through the marriage. I mean, you know, most people, they were like, oh, you're not partying no more. You don't have a house to party at, you know, because she's got kids and or or a kid. And, um, you know, so I quickly found out who my friends were because once you get married, you know, you tend to really not hang out with too many single people for some reason. <laughs> so I've got a couple of friends that, that kind of carried over. And, you know, one of them was my roommate <laughs> who I probably shouldn't have still talked to. But, you know, he was an alcoholic just like me. But, uh, but I felt the loyalty towards him. So we're hanging out and everything and she's getting mad. So she just leaves. She's like, I'm, I'm done. Like, you know, you guys are getting drunk in the basement. You guys are watching like UFC fights all the time. Like I'm out. And, he, and so he's like, well, we'll just move back in and 
but that's not what I wanted. I wanted to not do the super stuff that I was doing. So, you know, it's Christmas Eve, 2008. For the past couple of days, I've been like laying in bed, like willing myself to die. Like, please, God, I don't even believe in you. I, I like it's all your fault that this happened. It wasn't my fault. It was God's fault. God hates me. And I just, I don't want to wake up. Like, please, please don't let me wake up. Like, I'm begging him, please don't let me wake up. And every day I'd wake up. And then Christmas Eve, 2008, I'm off of work and I'm drinking. And Christmas is supposed to be like my favorite time of the year. Uh, my family always gets together. You know, it's a time of, of, of great joy and laughter, but there wasn't any at all. And I'm sitting on my floor, staring at myself in the mirror with a bottle of Jack Daniels. And I'm like, like, I'm just not worth it. I can see why she left. You know, like I, I literally was sitting there like, like just looking at me in disgust, you know, in the mirror. I was like, I just, I don't, I don't want to do this anymore. And, and it was a moment where you start saying like, I always mess things up. I never, like you hear, start hearing absolutes, you know, and an all or nothing mentality. I always mess things up. I can never do anything right. No one's ever going to love me, right? And I was like, you know what? I'm just, like, I can't, I don't want to do this anymore. Like I just, I, I, I felt myself just give up. Like the air, just, I felt my, I felt air just leaving my body. You know what I mean? And I just, I can't, like, I just, I don't have any more energy. I just can't do this. So I walked over to the closet and I pulled out my nine millimeter and loaded it and I sat in front of the mirror again. And I was like, this is, I don't have a choice. So I have a bottle of Jack Daniels in my left hand. I have a gun in my right hand and I put it in my mouth. I'm like, I'm done. Like, I, like I'm just so done. I, I can't, I can't not drink. I can't mess, not mess things up. Like I'm just so done. And, and I, I remember just putting it in my mouth. Like, I'm, I'm, I'm just done. And then I got a phone call. And I looked down and it's my dad who I haven't talked to in almost a year. And even today, my dad called me on Christmas. And before that, I talked to him maybe in February, maybe in January or something like that. I literally, like me and my dad really hardly even have a relationship. But he calls and like, okay, I don't know why he's calling, but okay. And of course, you know, I'm answering the phone. I'm like crying and bawling and I'm, you know, I don't know what to do with my life. And he's like, Hey, I was thinking about you and I, you know, I just want to see how you're doing. And I was just crying, you know, I can't do this. And I don't want to, you know, she left and he's like, Whoa, 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 hold on. Wait, what? Like, what's going on? Like, like you need to like, call me back. Like, like call me back and like hangs up on me. Like, what do we call him back? And my dad hung up on me. Now, suicide awareness trainers will tell you not to do this. But at the time, my dad was in the Air Force and he was a first sergeant. So he knows what to do. He deals with this stuff all the time. So I'm like, what? So I'm like, okay, can't believe you just... So, he, so I call him back, you know, and he's like, okay, I'm, I'm, I'm really happy that you called me back. I, I'm, I'm by myself now. Okay, so what's going on? And I just spilled it to him. Like she left and I'm drinking and, and she, you know, she... She does this. It's all her fault, all her fault, all her fault. And he's like, whoa, 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 calm down. Like, you know, he told me, he's like, it's not, like, you need to figure out what's most important. It is not all her fault, you know? So he's telling me about, you know, his marriage and, and marriage with my mom and, and different things that he's experienced or whatever. And, and he's just like, man, he's like, you need like a chaplain. You need God. You need, 
um, therapy. You need, you know, whatever. I was like, God, like, I don't need God. And it's God's fault. And he's like, you know, he's like that, that, that kid with a magnifying glass trying to burn ants. Like he's, that's his fault. And, and he's like, dude, I'm telling you, like, you need a chaplain. And, uh, you have to promise me that, that you'll, that you'll go to a chaplain and you'll get help and you'll tell your commander. And he's like, if I got to call him, I'll call him, you know, no, it's fine. You know, whatever. And he's like, man, you got to promise me, like, come on, man, promise me. And then other people were calling me, um, because they, they were concerned, you know, because they, at work, they knew what was going on. So of course I've got other people calling me and I've got, so now it's like, okay, so now everybody's involved. So people are calling and, uh, and I, I just, I didn't end up going through with it, you know, but, uh, but in the chaplain's office, um, two days later on the 26th, I was in the chaplain's office and I was like, you know what? I'll give it one last chance. I'm going to give it one last chance. If life sucks and, and, and I, I just, I can't stop drinking and, and I don't see progress, but then I'm just going to end my life no matter what the circumstance, you know, like if I'm, if I'm still an alcoholic and I still feel like my life is, is going down roads that I don't want it to go down. Like I, I'm just going to do it, you know? And, and I made that promise. Like I'm just going to do it. And, uh, that was December 26th of 2008. And, uh, here we are. I made it 10 years. And you should be commended for that. That's amazing. And, and really talk about, we often talk about timing and it sounds like had your dad not called you when he called you, you wouldn't be with us today. Absolutely. Yeah. I was, I was just so like deflated. And, and what's, what's interesting is that you, you know, you said that when you went into the chaplain's office on the 26th, you said you were just going to give it one last try. How did things change for you? Because here we are 10 years later, obviously, and, and you're living a very successful and inspiring life. Talk to us about what started the change. I think there was a level of open-mindedness that, that I didn't have before. You know, I was so focused on my hate for God and, you know, cause sometimes, you know, I don't believe anybody wakes up and says, you know, I'm going to suck at life today. I'm just going to fail at everything. Like, I think that's what I'm going to do. Like, I don't think people purposely do that. I think that at some point when you get, when you hit rock bottom, it's just your level of expectation. You don't have any other expectations, but that. So when it happens, you're like, yep, saw that coming. Yep. Yep. Figured. But, but there's always hope. And when hope leaves, that's when suicide happens. So I started to get hope. I started to to listen to what the chaplain said about having a purpose and all things, you know, happen through Christ, you know, and, and, and every message that, that he, you know, he said some of the, some, you know, some of the famous ones, you know, like one of them was, uh, I remember his first John four, four says he is greater in you than he who's in the world. You know, I was like, what? Like, doesn't even make sense. Like, what do you, what? Like, what, like, what are you talking about? So he has to be in you. I'm like, whatever. Like, you know, but, but it always got me thinking and he would say things to me and I'm like, what, like, what does that even mean? And then it made me go look it up. Cause I'm just, I have like OCD, like I'm kind of inquisitive anyways. So if somebody says something, I'm like, what? That doesn't make sense. I go look it up. Like I just have to, I fact check everything. And then I caught myself reading some scripture, which I really didn't really, because I didn't really do it because when I was a kid, me and my sisters were forced to go to church. Cause you know, we're Catholic and, and you'll go to, you you know, you won't go to heaven if you don't go to church, you know? And it wasn't about building a relationship. It was out of obedience because you have to do it. That's, we were ruled by fear, <laughs> but that's what it was. Right. I, I want to go back to something, Sean, you mentioned 
about having a purpose and you know you had a you had a new purpose what was your new purpose that that gave you that hope that previously you didn't have that i didn't want to keep on living the life that i was living i was smart enough to know that like something inside me was like this isn't you this isn't like i, I you know i wasn't Growing up, I didn't feel valued. I didn't feel loved. I didn't get tucked in at night and read bedtime stories. It was go to your room before I kill you. It's bedtime. Bye. That was that was me getting tucked in. Hey, bedtime. Beat it. You know, I mean, that wasn't I wasn't loved. You know, like other kids, like like you know, I tuck my kids in, I hug them, like hey, you know, good night, love you. You know, there's, there's none of that. You know, when I when I tuck my kids in, you know, it's give them a kiss and you know whatever. But I didn't get that when I was a kid. And I think what's so powerful is despite that, you, know, you started to feel from other people around you as you got older after you, know, you basically threw the gauntlet down to the chaplain saying you're going to give it another whirl, people supporting you. Oh, that's huge. I don't understand when somebody says, you know, like, oh, he's going to fail or, oh, I'm just waiting for it. Just, why? Like, like, as a human being, like, why do you want people to fail? I never understood that. Never understood that. So yeah, I, I had people rooting for me. Like, and essentially, a, a, I, you know, I built the board of directors for my life. You know, I built, you know, a spiritual team. I built, you know, I put people in places in my life that needed to be elevated. You know, and, and I placed people accordingly. Like, hey, you're good for this, and you're good for this, and you're, and, and I assigned them in my mind. I assigned them, you know, tasks, which. You know, from 04 to 2007, yeah, from 04 to 2007, you know, I built my first business as as a DJ and then it became, you know, um, doing weddings and businesses and, uh, you know, uh, events, you know, like conferences and stuff. And, and it became a sound guy for like weddings. And all of a sudden I had a photographer and all of a sudden we were doing karaoke, you know, I mean, it was just scaling year over year. I mean, I was raking in, you know, me and my business partner, I mean, we were crushing it. You know, but at the same time, what am I doing? I'm DJing in bars, in clubs, you know, at weddings. Like, I mean, I'm doing it in places where I'm consuming alcohol. And I thought that was my passion, but, uh, or my purpose, but, you know, it, it, it wasn't. But I had people around me all times throughout my life always cheering me on. So I think I would have failed a lot harder had that not happened, had I not had people in my life. And you mentioned the past 10 years have been where you've really found your success. So take us through how you're taking the lessons, the difficult times you went through with suicide and helping others. Yeah, I look back at the last 10 years of my life in awe, in complete awe. So here's how the last 10 years of my life went in about 15 seconds. December 24th, 2008, I tried taking my life. December 26th, I'm in the chaplain's office trying to get help. Of course, January 1st, it's new year, new you, resolutions, you know, whatever. I'm going to be better. I'm going to be a better person, you know, whatever. From then until, you know, February, March, April, I'm getting classes uh, done, going to meetings, chaplain's office all the time, but I'm getting help therapy and whatnot, you know. Then my commander says, man, you haven't drank in, in a while, dude. You need to go be a drill instructor for basic training. Like, drill instructor for basic training? Like, what? 
Oh yeah. You need to go be a drill instructor for base training and inspire those airmen. You're crazy. So I ended up getting accepted. 2009 to 2013, I was a drill instructor for Air Force Basic Training. I learned how to be a trainer. I learned how to be a speaker. 2008, I went through the adversity. From 09 to 13, I learned how to tell my adversity. In 2013, I left my drill instructor tour after it was over, and I got to uh, North Carolina. From then on till now, I now have a platform to tell my story. So I started with an adversity. I learned how to tell my adversity. And then I learned how to build a platform to tell my adversity. And I know that you use that platform to help people live epic lives. Tell us about some of the tools that one can implement to, if they're in a place like you were, to shift towards where you are today. Absolutely. There's three tools that you have to have. Number one is you have to cultivate an attitude of gratitude. What I do is I count three blessings a day, every single day. You can do this on social media. You can post like every single blessing, you know, when it happens, or you can do it at the end of the day. So, you know, what I do is I usually do it at the end of the day. Blessing number one, blessing number two, blessing number three, hashtag counting blessings. If you do that, hashtag counting blessings, search for it on social media. You'll see a bunch of my stuff. You'll see a bunch of other people's stuff because in different groups, we've done gratitude challenges. You know, who's got amazing blessings? Let's talk about them, you know? And so that's one aspect. You have to develop an attitude of gratitude because where focus goes, energy flows. So if you focus on the negatives, all you'll see is negatives. If you focus on the positives, you'll see more positives. Having an attitude of gratitude and counting your blessings creates a buffer for challenges. You're inevitably going to go through challenges, but having a positive mindset, this is how you do it. Count three blessings a day and seek out how to be a blessing to people. I did a Facebook live challenge where every day for 66 days, I did two blessings. And then the third blessing was how I was a blessing to someone else. So I blessed people. The second thing is you absolutely have to have values-based goals. Everybody has a goal. Everybody talks about smarter goals, whatever. Values are where you want to be in life and goals are just the accomplishments along the way. Have to have values-based goals. What do you value in life? So write down your top five values. These are your core values. I ask people all the time, what are your core values? They get two, maybe three, that's it. And even they struggle to get that third one. So... After you develop an attitude of gratitude, you have to figure out what you stand for. I call it living your brand. When you find opportunities every day, you live out the values that you have in your heart. That's living your brand. Your brand, my brand is God, love, like family, relationships, all the same thing. Uh, you know, impact or, or how I can be of service to someone else. So, so service, right? And then, and then integrity. So those five things are super important to me and they're not negotiable. They are my core values. In the military, in the Air Force, we have integrity first, service before self, and excellence in all we do. Those are our Air Force core values. The Marines, the Army, the Navy, they all have core values. It used to be honor, code, God, and country, but now Marines are something else. But you, these are things that you live by. And they're not negotiable. So you have to, have to develop your value, core values. The third thing is develop a board of directors. If every major company, Fortune 500 company, have board meetings and talk about growth and sales, why are we not doing that for our life? Why are we not building a two or three person board of directors that will elevate each area of our life? Everybody shares five areas. Everybody. 
They are wealth and finances, one area. Health, your personal development, relationships, family, you know, personal life. Professional development, your career, business, and then spirituality, which is religious or not religious. Spirituality just simply means your beliefs, principles, and values. It's what you believe in. It's what you stand for. And so I have two to three people in each of those five areas to elevate me in only that area. My wife's in my personal board of directors. My pastor's on my spiritual board of directors. My mom is also on my board of directors, but she's had three divorces. So she's kind of in my personal board of directors for things that I don't want to be. The suicide attempt is in my spiritual board of directors because I don't want to go back there. So you have to have a board of directors for your life. You absolutely have to. With those three things, you will simply become a better person because not only are people elevating you in those areas, but you're taking it upon yourself to look at the positives and to have those values at the forefront because values are where you want to be in life and goals are the accomplishments along the way. So you're always making forward progress and you're walking that journey along with people. That's it. That's fantastic. And I know that you've been sharing this journey. You shared it in a TEDx talk and you do quite a lot. You do quite a lot of speaking. And you've also written a book called Decisions, The Power to Overcome Self-Defeating Behaviors. Take us through a little bit of that. Talk, us about, talk to us about that book, if you would, please. Yeah, it's an autobiographical approach to how to overcome self-defeating So everybody has self-defeating behaviors. You have them, I have them. You know, everybody has self-defeating behaviors. The number two most common self-defeating behavior is that we compare our chapter one to somebody else's chapter 20. How come Dr. Richard is so successful? How come his show is so much more successful? The Daily Helping is crushing, you know, my show. Like, what is what is Dr. Richard doing I mean, this is ridiculous. That's what people do. And they're so focused on what other people do and they forget that maybe I'm just starting out. Maybe it's like day five and he's like day 500. You know, if I compared my speaking career, which has been only since, I mean, really 2010 was a little bit of high schools, a little bit of, you know, whatever. 2014, I'm, I'm all the time. I'm out there. I'm holding my own events. 2017, I got a TEDx talk. Now, if I compared my journey to Tony Robbins, pff, I'm not even I'm not even in the same league as Tony Robbins. He's been doing it for 40 years. I've been doing it for four years. <laughs> you know what I mean? So there's no way I can compare myself to Tony Robbins or anybody, you know, who's been doing it for 20 or 30 years. The number one self-defeating behavior is that people count other people's blessings. How come they're house is so magnificent? How come they have an awesome car? How come they got that awesome job? How come their kids are so well-behaved? How come their husband is so awesome? How come their wife is so awesome? Look at their life. Their life is so perfect. That's because you're looking at it through Facebook. Of course, they're only going to post positive things on social media. Why would you ever post anything negative on social media? But we do it all the time. We count other people's blessings. You know, I'm the first one when somebody shares something, I'm like, that's awesome. Like, way to go. Good for you. Like, I'm cheerleading, you know, because I don't want to get caught up in, oh, man, Dr. Richard has like 100,000 downloads on his daily helping show. How did he just make, uh, you know, Apple's top 200? Yay, way to go for him. No, like, I'm like, yeah, dude, like, crush it. Like, yes. And then I'm laser focused on what I'm doing. I really try hard 
to not get caught up in that, in that, because it's so easy. You see success and then you become jealous. Like, well, well, what's going on with him? Like, how did that happen? Right? Because we always want to know, like I said, we don't ever wake up wanting to fail. So those two common self-defeating behaviors is what I wrote about. And it's an autobiographical approach of my life. And, and, and there's uh, religious ways and not religious ways. I wrote it, I wrote it both ways. So there's two inspirational quotes at the end of each chapter, followed by a Bible verse to sum up the chapter and to push you to that next level. And for those of you who are listening to this while you're in your car, we'll have in the Daily Helping app and in our show notes at thedailyhelping.com all of the links for everything that is Sean Douglas, including his book. So you'll be able to get your hands on that. Well, Sean, this was fantastic, and I wish we had more time. But as you know, I love to wrap up my shows by asking my guests one question, and that is, what is your biggest helping, the single most important piece of information you'd love for somebody to walk away with after listening to you today? You have the power to turn the page and write a new chapter. You have the brain power. You have the internal motivation, whether you believe it or not. You have the internal motivation, the passion, and a purpose to say this is not how my story ends. Everybody has that ability, whether you believe it or not. I'm telling you that you do because I was on the floor with a gun in my hand ready to end my life. Ten years later, my dream came true of having my own TEDx talk. Ten years later. It's not going to happen overnight. But you have the power to turn the chapter and write a new one. Just turn the page. That's all you got to do. Turn the page. Write a new chapter. Sean, that was beautifully said. And I, and I want to add for, for those of you listening. Uh, well, first, let me say this. I want to thank you, Sean, for being so vulnerable and talking about some really difficult times. And for those of you who are listening to this, who this is something that you're relating to and you're going through very difficult times, as Sean said, there is always hope. But if you're feeling in that place of crisis, please call the National Suicide Prevention Hotline at 800-273-8255. Because as, as Sean said, you can always turn that page and there are people there that are going to help you do that. Uh, and again, Sean, I want to thank you so much for being on today. It was fantastic. And I want to thank each and every one of you who tuned in today and listened to this podcast. If you liked what you heard, please go subscribe to the show on iTunes and leave us a five-star review because that's what helps other people find the podcast and hear inspirational stories like what you just heard today. But most importantly, go out there today and do something nice for somebody else, even if you don't know who they are, and post it in your social media feeds using the hashtag MyDailyHelping because the happiest people are those that help others. 